Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Let me start with a question today. If you had the opportunity to hang out with anybody for 24 hours, you don't have to shout it out. If you had the opportunity to hang out with anybody for 24 hours, who would it be? All access, get into their home, ride with them in the car, go to their workplace, go 24 hours, whatever they're doing, you're doing. Who would it be? Some famous actor or actress that you have endeared for a time, a a sports star, somebody playing today, somebody playing yesterday, Um, historical figure for you geeks, you know, just who would it be that you would, uh, you know, alive or dead, doesn't matter, who would it be that you would want to hang out with? I know what you you probably said, you're in church, you probably said Jesus, whether that was the truth that you actually want to hang out with them for 24 hours or not, but you can say, you know, I know what the Sunday school answer would be, and I want to hang out with Jesus for 24 hours. But what would that be like? Could you imagine what it would be like to hang out with Jesus for a day? Rise up in the morning, share some fish, some bread, watch him do his work throughout the day. What a, what a glorious thing that would be. And that's actually what we're going to look at today. We've been studying that we started the book of Mark last weekend. And it was pretty wild. I told you that Mark is an action-packed book. It's like reading a comic book almost. Things just come right one right after the other. They keep popping in and popping in. It's headline upon headline upon headline. All these events. Mark's book is a book of action because he's trying to demonstrate that Jesus is a servant. What we're going to look at today is just one day. Last week, we covered verses 1 through 15. And in those 15 verses... We saw all kinds of things happen. John the Baptist came on the scene. Not only did he come on the scene, he he went. (laughs) He came and went. His ministry is done and over with in the Gospel of Mark by verse 15. We saw the uh, 40 days, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus being baptized, right? That beautiful picture of the Trinity. The Father says from heaven, this is my son and who am I well pleased. Um, The Spirit descends upon him like a dove, a great picture. We saw the 40 days in the wilderness that the Spirit ushers Jesus out into the wilderness. And then we also saw as he came out of the wilderness, Jesus declare why he came. It's possible that those first 15 verses covered up to two years in time. Now we don't think of it that way as we're reading through it, do we? What were you doing two years ago today? Uh, I have no idea. You know, but think of it. You were two years younger, you know, in, in, in the blink of an eye in the Bible, years pass by sometimes. These are lives that are affected. These are things that are happening. And, and, and so sometimes we just need to pause and think about that for a minute. Now, I say it could have been up to two years. It might have been as short as 45 days. We don't know exactly how long it was. But with the possibility of John the Baptist baptizing up to 500,000 people, um, because it says all of, the, all of Judea came out to see him, if he was baptizing a thousand people a day, could you imagine trying to baptize? If he was baptizing a thousand people a day, that would take more than a year. It'd take almost a year and a half. So you count that time plus the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness, we could, very be, we could be pushing two years in just the first 
15 verses. Mark now is going to slow it down, and we're going to look at uh, the next 15 or so verses, and it's one day, 24-hour period that, that this action unfolds. But you know what? It's no less action-packed. As we, as we kind of hone in now, we bring the plane down and, and, and spend a day walking alongside Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 14. We covered 14 and 15 last week, but just to kind of refresh our minds. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of the book of Mark, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he, after John's put in prison, he moves up to Galilee, where he does the majority of his ministry, and he begins preaching this message that he came to preach, this fourfold message uh, the, declaring what his ministry is. First, the time is fulfilled. All of the Old Testament had been looking forward to when the Messiah was going to come. It was, it was pointing toward a time when there's, the Savior would arrive on the scene, and that, that time is now happening. The time has been fulfilled because Jesus is there. The second thing, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, Jesus is part of the Trinity. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, literally, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is there, literally. The third thing, because of the, the time being fulfilled and the kingdom of God being present, the proper response is to repent. We talked about repentance last week, and we've talked about it several times. But just to remind us, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. A change of mind that leads to a change in action. It's, uh, 71 North, getting off and heading 71 South. That's repenting. I, I, I realize I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going to get off the exit, turn around and head the other direction. That's repentance. And then the fourth thing Jesus says is believe in the gospel. And that's, that's the proper response. We want to believe, place our faith in it's not just an intellectual knowledge, but a knowledge that determines our direction, placing that in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Savior that they had been waiting for. So now Jesus is going to begin selecting the men that are going to walk alongside him for the next three years. It says in verse 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. A couple things to note. Um, Jesus goes to the sea. He, he, He speaks to Simon and Andrew. And just so we're all clear, I don't know where you're at in your biblical knowledge. Simon is going to have a name change here shortly. And and Jesus is going to change his name to Peter. So anytime we're reading about Simon now, It's the same man that's named Peter later. This is Peter and Andrew. They were brothers, and they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Notice, he doesn't go to the highly educated. Jesus doesn't go to the the Pharisees and Sadducees to select his men. He doesn't go to the the men of Gamaliel's school to select the the guys that are going to walk alongside him. He doesn't go to the highly influential. He doesn't go to the high priest or the, the powers that be, the, the political leaders of the day. He doesn't look to the upper crust or the cream of the crop to get his disciples. He goes to the sea. 
He goes to the working man, the simple, the blue-collared, the hard-working. Why? Why? Well, because God in this wants to make a point to you and I. He's not just after the cream of the crop. He's not after the best of the best, and that's all he'll use. He wants us all. He loves us all. He, he cares for us all. God doesn't need ability. He needs availability. He needs a heart and a mind that says, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever God calls me to do. He's looking for men and women who are, are willing to follow him. The Calvary Chapel proverb that's been used time and time again, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. It's, it's His power. Remember when we looked at Jesus' baptism last week? The Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, and we said that was the power that Jesus was waiting on to begin His earthly ministry. He needed the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in order to move out and press forward in His public ministry. And so we need that power as well. And it's only by that power that we're going to have a successful ministry. It's only by the presence and the power that we press forward. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. It's His empowering that carries us. And I'm not trying to, you know, slam higher education. I'm not trying to, you know, give a hard time to anybody that would attend cemetery. Seminary. (laughs) Seminary. Uh, Sorry. Halloween, you know, come on. Seminary. If you're called to that, if God... What I, what I am trying to say is what God calls you to is what you need to do. That's where you need to go. And if he calls you to higher education and to seminary, then by all means, with all of your heart, invest yourself in that because you're going to reap the rewards of that because you're walking in what God has called you to do. But that's not the way it was for me. I considered it for a time. But I came across these scriptures. And this is what kind of directed me to say, I'm not going to go to Bible school. I'm not going to go to seminary. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul, Paul was crazy smart. He, he, Gamaliel was his teacher, and Gamaliel said of Paul, I don't have enough books for him. He's read everything in my library twice. I can't keep him in books. And this is what Paul, the crazy smart one, says as he went to the Corinthian church. My speech... And my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. He had those available to him. They were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It's, what was effective was the power of the Spirit. And then probably the clincher for me was Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Peter and John, the, the, the men of the, the town are looking at Peter and John And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And I said, as I considered my path and the path that God would have for me, I said, Lord, that's what I want in my life. If anybody gets anything good out of anything that I do, I want them to recognize it's not me. It's not my persuasive words. It's not my wisdom. It's the power of the Spirit working in and through me. And so I'm going to set those things aside and confound the wise by that. <laughs> you know, I, I've had 
you know, it, it happens in Calvary Chapel all the time because not everybody goes to Bible school. They, they simply look at God's calling on a person's life. Consider that calling. Jesus says, follow me. They're sitting there fishing, what they had known their whole lives. This is what they had been raised to do in the family business. They may have had some education. We, we don't know the, the extent of their education. But Jesus says, follow me. You have to leave what you know and trust that he's going to lead you in a better way. It's going to change your direction. When when he says to follow me, it's going to change the course that your life is on. It's not Jesus joining you on your journey. It's you joining Jesus on his journey. It, It moves from fishing for fish to fishing for men, for Andrew and Peter, or yeah, Peter and Andrew. Same kind of field. I mean, they're not, you know, throwing lines and hooking men with hooks. So we need to count the cost. It's not just a simple, well, it is a simple obedience to say, yes, I will follow you. But we need to understand that it's going to change the direction of our lives. And notice what also Jesus says in that verse. He says, I will make you fishers of men. And the language here seems to indicate that this is not instantaneous. This is, this is a process. You will become fishers of men, but it's going to take time to, to learn, to train, to understand. And it's going to take the power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. John didn't become the apostle of love overnight, right? Near the end of Jesus's ministry, he still called the son of thunder. It wasn't very loving when he said, Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven to consume your enemies? But by the end of his life, when he's writing the epistles on the island of Patmos, when he's writing the book of Revelation, it's evident that Jesus had transformed him. And he's no longer the son of thunder. He's the apostle of love. Jesus is going to change Peter's name from little rock to big rock to Cephas. But that doesn't happen overnight either. I love Peter. Peter's probably my favorite apostle. I'm the most like Peter. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always doing, he's always acting before thinking, ready, fire, aim, you know, and and that's just the way that he works. But he didn't didn't become the solid rock that Jesus said he would become. Jesus sees in you what will be, not what is. It takes time. Character which is what God works in, character is not built overnight, over a lifetime. So what'd they do? Jesus says, follow me. What'd they do? Well, you probably know the story, but 18. They immediately left their nets and followed him. There's our key word that we said 42 times throughout the book of Mark, immediately showing the servitude. That's the proper response to, for a servant when given a command. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This wasn't the first encounter they had had with Jesus. They may have known him for up to a year at this point and certainly knew of, of, of what they were was about. But what did they see? I mean, Jesus hadn't performed any miracles yet. Jesus hadn't begun his public ministry other than <laughs> declaring these four things. What did they see in Jesus that compelled them to leave all that they knew and followed him? It's the same thing that you and I have seen in Christ when we came to Him. 
It's hope. What they saw in Jesus is the same thing that anybody who gives their life to Christ sees when they, when they dedicate their life to him. It's hope. It's a hope of a better tomorrow. It's a hope of a changed life. It's a hope of a new direction. It's a hope of salvation that they saw in the eyes of Jesus as he leans over to them there on the seashore and says, follow me. And and whatever the future had, what they saw in Jesus, they said, it's better than what we know. It's it's worth the risk. It's worth the step of faith to find out. And so they, they were willing to take that step. They saw in Jesus what I have seen in Jesus when I came to him, and that's hope. Verse 19. When he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So now the two become four. He's, he's expanding his disciple group. He's, we know it's going to be eventually 12 men, but these are the, the first four and, and, and probably the, the inner circle, if you would, of, of Jesus's posse, you know. James and John, we kind of look at them a little bit and, and we recognize that perhaps we know that James and John and Peter and Andrew had worked with each other in fishing for many years, but we see in James and John they're leaving perhaps a little bit more than even Peter and Andrew did. First of all, they're leaving a boat. Peter and Andrew are working on the seashore. They're, they're, they're leaving a boat. In fact, they're leaving multiple boats. We know that Zebedee's business had grown rather affluent. It's a big enough boat that it houses, you know, John and James and Zebedee and servants. That's a pretty sizable fishing boat in those days. So this, is, this was a pretty prominent business. We know through the, the scene of the crucifixion, as Jesus is going through his um, different false trials, we see Peter, and he goes to the courtyard and hangs out in the courtyard by the fire. You remember that? Where, that's where, G, where Peter denies Jesus three times. Well, if you look at what happens with John in that same scene, John doesn't go to the courtyard. He goes into the high priest. Well, the only way you go into the high priest is if the high priest knows you. And the reason the high priest knew John is because John had delivered fish to him for many years. His family, Zebedee, had a relationship with the upper crust of the the region, of Galilee. And so it was an affluent business, but yet what they saw in Jesus was worth that risk, was worth that step. There, There appears to be even a greater hope for them as well. So now these four men... Join Jesus on his journey. Let's begin the 24 hours in verse 21. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. So Sabbath begins on Friday night as the sun sets, as um, the, the Sabbath begins when you can see three stars in the night sky. And it goes for 24 hours until Saturday night when the sun sets. And once again, you can see three stars in the night sky. That's the time frame of the Sabbath. And they would gather together on the Sabbath day after they had slept Friday night. They would rise up on Saturday morning and go to synagogue. Synagogue was, all, for all intents and purposes, it's like our church. They would gather on Saturday morning to, to read through the scriptures and to fellowship with one another to strengthen their faith. And it, synagogues began in the time of the Babylonian captivity. They, would, they did that because they, they couldn't make it back to Jerusalem. They were slaves in a foreign land. And so any city, any town that had 
10 or more Hebrew men, they would gather together on Saturday morning uh, for synagogue, and they would establish a building over the years, and that's what they would do. And so Jesus now in the city of Capernaum goes to the synagogue, and he's going to get the opportunity to teach. It was common in that day that there wasn't a set teacher. Various men would share the responsibility. Um, Oftentimes itinerant preachers would come in and visit to share, and so it wasn't like the same guy Sunday after Sunday like you guys have to put up with. It was... It was, you know, rotating people. It says in verse 22, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They they were blown away at this church service. They were excited about the way Jesus was teaching because he had his teaching as one. He kept their attention. He didn't have anybody sleeping. I say very loudly. (laughs) actually i don't see anybody at the moment it will happen just every every sermon i give somebody falls asleep it's just the way it rolls i get it it's you got to deal with it you know but one of these days i'll just walk out there and tap you on the head (laughs) see i have to threaten you to keep you awake jesus taught with authority and it was exciting and it was it was very different from everything that they had experienced Normally, the service was quite boring and wrote. They would read the scripture, and then they wouldn't even necessarily have a teaching on it as much as they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this about the text, blah, 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 blah. Think Ben Stein, all right? (laughs) And or... The scribes, when they, when they explain this text, or this is, this is what the Talmud would say, and, and the synagogue service was somewhat boring. Not today. Something different is happening. He taught as one having authority. Jesus did. Why? Because he knew and understood and was able to explain what the text was about. Why? Because the text was about him. He had authority because the text spoke of him. He could show in the book of Isaiah how this was you know, given hundreds of years before he's arrived, but now is fulfilled in him coming. All of the Old Testament pointed to the very man now leading them in Bible study. How cool would that be? Bible study with Jesus. We're doing that at 6.30 tonight. How many people would we get here? Right? It, actually we'll have the opportunity. As we're going through the book of Isaiah, we kind of see that in the millennial kingdom. We're going to venture, as we're living on this earth for a thousand years, we're going to venture to the city of Jerusalem, probably to fulfill the various various feasts. And Jesus is going to be, that's where he's going to have his rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem. And he's going to teach us the scriptures there. We're going to get to, we're going to have a Bible study with Jesus. That's what these men were experiencing. How cool. He had authority because he'd experienced the Scriptures. Right? Jesus always was. He's part of the Trinity. There is no beginning time for Jesus. Before time began, Jesus was there. From the dawn of creation, Jesus was there. As God threw the light into the sky, Jesus was there. It even says that in the account in Genesis, as Moses wrote. He experienced the Scriptures. I have found that when I teach a text, if I have a head knowledge of it, I can explain it. 
But if I have a heart knowledge of it, if the scripture has touched me in such a way, if it's changed my life in a way, I can teach it far better. I, I, I can deliver that message far more strongly because it's impacted me directly. And, and that's what Jesus is, that's why he has the, the authority. It becomes more powerful because he's experienced the scriptures. Right now it gets interesting. Verse 23. Now, there was a man there in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Good for Halloween weekend, evidently. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus? Right? That's the voice, right? It wouldn't be, Let us alone, please! No, it wouldn't Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In the midst of a normal, boring synagogue service, that would be interesting. <laughs> I'm not asking for that in any way, shape, or form today. I'm just saying that would be interesting. That would be quite different. This man suddenly stands up and cries out, unclean spirit dwelling within him. Just so you know, one of the things we, I want to talk about today, darkness and light. Darkness and light cannot contain, be contained in the same spot. Those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, you can never be possessed again because the Holy Spirit is in you. And darkness and light cannot contain, be contained in the same space. You can be oppressed by demonic activity today. We can feel the effects of spiritual attack against us. But it is impossible when you have, are a follower of Christ to ever be possessed Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Note the authority again. He had the authority teaching the scriptures. Now he has the authority in commanding this unclean spirit what to do. Jesus had the power because he's fully God. Jesus doesn't have to go toe-to-toe for 10 rounds with this demon and see who wins the contest at the end. Demons are not on the same level as Jesus. Demons are created beings, Jesus uncreated. They have no choice but to submit to his authority. I toyed, I didn't, I don't want to say, that's the wrong word. I, I thought about this quite a bit this week, this verse 26. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. The language there sounds like the demon cried out with an unclean voice or, un- or with a loud voice. But Jesus had told him to be quiet and he has to submit to that authority. So I think it's the man that cries out with a loud voice in the effect of feeling the effect of the unclean spirit coming out of him probably had been indwelt there for a long time. The unclean spirit convulsed him and cried out. I, that's just my opinion. Uh, that's not, neither here or there, just something to consider. There's no song and dance. There's no exorcism. There's no head spinning. There's no pea soup, right? It's just shut up and leave. And it's done. That's the authority that Jesus commands. There's these itinerant preachers or itinerant exorcists in the book of Acts. They're called the sons of Siva. They were seven of them. And they weren't, they weren't very good at their job. They're like the weathermen. You know, they got it right maybe 50% of the time. And, and it's just like, they, they sometimes, and they're like, you know, they're, they, these demons attack. It's a crazy story. You'll have to look it up later. 
These demons attack the sons of Siva. They're like, we don't have any idea who you are. We know Jesus. We know Paul. Who are you? You know, it's like their calling card says we're demon exorcists and, and the demons don't even know who they are. So there were men that had tried for years, even at this time, that would attempt to cast out demons with not much success. But look at what Jesus does. And remember, Peter, Andrew, James, John, sitting there going, this morning we were fishing. (laughs) They were all amazed, it says, verse 27. You think? So that they question among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine? Doctrine just means teaching. Don't get scared of that word. What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits. We tried. And they obey him. (laughs) It was just the men that went to synagogue in those days. The ladies would stay home. What was the conversation like when the men got home from synagogue that day? Hi, honey. (laughs) How was synagogue today? It was crazy good. We had this dude show up. I've never seen him before. He, he opened the scriptures, and all of a sudden they came to life. I stayed awake, honey. I, it was awesome. I can't wait to go back. I hope he's there next week. I'm excited. And then Bob stood up. You know Bob. We've had him at the house before. And he starts talking in this weird voice. Ah, come out of me. Jesus says, shut up, sit down. And all of a sudden Bob's fine. I think we can have him over to dinner again. (laughs) Interesting conversations when Jesus moves over somebody's life, right? Immediately, his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Before the days of social media, before the news outlets show up, somehow word still spreads. That's because truth is powerful. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew, Jesus now moving with his posse with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So Jesus goes from the house of God, the synagogue, to the house of a man, Peter and Andrew's house. What do we notice here? What can we glean from verse 30 about Peter? He's married. So how how did he become pope? Right, because popes aren't supposed to be married, right? That's just saying, I just wondered how that worked. He had a wife, he had a mother-in-law. How did that conversation go? Hey, honey, I'm home. I brought James and John and Jesus with me. And Andrew's here. Could we have something to eat? Honey, you could have told me that you were bringing guests home from synagogue. We would have had time to clean up. Because you, you could have called on the cell phone. Right? You've had that conversation, haven't you? Honey, um, the way, my, my boss is coming for dinner tonight. He'll be here in 15 minutes. Right? And everything gets thrown in the dishwasher, including the cat. And it's just, you know, everything downstairs. The kids get duct taped into the closet. And everything else swept under the rug. Wow, this is a cushy rug. Well, yeah, let's consider what's under You've, had, you've done that. We would have been happier if we just you know, sat in our filth. Leave us alone. <laughs> what would have they made Jesus for dinner? We don't have a standing rump roast, honey. It wouldn't have been bacon. We know that. 
right? No bacon on Jesus' plate. His mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And by the language uh, in verse 30, she's very sick. This is like a fever that ends in death kind of sick. This isn't just a little cold like I've had this week. This is Jesus is going to have to do something about it kind of stuff. But after what they've seen, now they're at the, uh, you know, enjoying a meal together or whatever it is. They're hanging out at, at Peter's house. After what Peter had seen, what, why not ask? Jesus, is there, is there something you can do? People have joked before, this is a, uh, this is a miracle Peter did not ask for healing his mother-in-law, <laughs> right? But actually, I actually think he did. They told him about her at once, right? And Jesus steps into the fray, into the scene. So he came to her. So he came and took her <coughs> by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately, there's our word again, the fever left her. Everything is servitude to Jesus. Immediately the fever left her, and she served them. It's as simple as that. Just like the demon. The wrong is made right. The crooked is made straight. The broken is restored. The, the, the torn is mended. Have you seen Jesus heal? Have you ever partaken in a, a miraculous prayer where God actually does heal somebody? It's a glorious thing. I had the opportunity to pray for a brother many years ago that had a a broken ankle, got it in a uh, smash-up derby on a Friday night. We went and prayed for him on a Friday night. He was going to go to the doctor on Monday. We prayed. He went to the doctor on Monday. The doctor's like, there's nothing wrong with your ankle. He knew it was broken. The, The doctors at the track had told him it was broken. On Monday, he's fine. Man, it was awesome to see. Thank you, Jesus. They're using us to, to pray for this man and see him healed. It was, it was so cool. It's glorious when we get to see Jesus heal. Her response should be our response as well. When we see Jesus heal our lives, touch our lives, move in our lives, she rose up and she served. And that should be our response as well. So now the day is coming to an end. The sun is setting. It says in verse 32, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and all who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. So now what's Peter's wife saying? Four I can handle, but 4,000? (laughs) The whole city's on my lawn. Everybody off my lawn. Then he healed many who were sick. Jesus responds with compassion. They healed many who were sick and various diseases, and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus, full of compassion, ministers to them. He meets their needs as he's done for you and I as well. He he meets us in our need. We were in that crowd. We were the sick, the demon-possessed, the broken, the downtrodden, the sinner worthy of hell. And Jesus meets us in his compassion. He reaches out to you and I through the cross. And that brings us to the communion table. That table that he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
the, what, what, the acts that were going to take place after they had gathered in the upper room. The, they gathered at the dinner table and he gives them a sacrament, a, a charge to continue this, this process and, and, and this practice that we continue yet even today. Very often on communion tables and churches, it'll be burned into the front of the table. Just simply do this in remembrance of me, exactly what Jesus said. And that's why we gather today to partake of the body broken and the blood shed for us. We're reminded that we were in that crowd waiting at the door. And Jesus has met us with a great compassion, healing our greatest disease, and that is sin. So I'm going to ask some of the guys to come forward. Tim, if you would. Um, Jim Coleman, would you want to hand out communion? That would be awesome. Nathan, you got it? I think three guys will go. Thank you, guys. There are, um, on the bread trays, there are little cups with um, gluten-free bread if you are in need of that. As they pass out the elements, and just ask for silence in the room, just a, a time to reflect on what Christ has done on our behalf. Just hold the bread, hold the cup, and we'll, I'll lead you in prayer, and we'll partake of those things together. Thank you, Lord, for your great compassion. While we were yet sinners, Jesus, you came and lived a spotless life uh, uh, without wrinkle or blemish. You lived perfectly, fulfilling the need for the sacrifice without wrinkle or blemish. You became the Passover lamb, as John said at your baptism, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Lord, for dying a death that I deserve to die and for defeating my greatest foe, my greatest sickness, my greatest enemy, sin. Thank you that you rose again, that the tomb is empty, that you've ascended to heaven and you sit at the right hand of the Father, and there is a day coming when when you will return. But until that day, you've commanded your church, your bride, to do these things in remembrance of you. So we thank you for the invitation to come to the table and remember that on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread, you gave thanks for it, and you broke it, and you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So we take and eat now in the name of Jesus, remembering that you were broken on our behalf, and we thank you in Jesus' name. After the meal is finished, Jesus You lifted up the cup, and that's a special cup in the Passover meal. It is the cup of fellowship, the third cup that was raised. And that's when you said, this is a new sacrament, a new way for us to come to you. It's through the blood that has been shed on our behalf. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we thank you for the blood. We drink now and we give you praise and glory that you have redeemed us through the shedding of your blood. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together.
What a day that must have been. 24 hours in the life of Jesus. These new guys, these four guys, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, experiencing things they had never experienced while walking the shores of the Sea of Galilee. What were they thinking that night as they laid their heads on their pillows? What was going through their minds? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning the world behind me. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning, though none go with me. Though none go, still I will follow, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And as they thought that, as they drifted off to sleep, may we think that with every day that God gives us. No turning back, church. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.